just in time for summer, the folks at Epic Brewing have released a new canned cocktail, the Utah Margarita. A delicious blend of real lime and agave, the Utah Margarita is ready to drink by the river or in the park. And here's the kicker, no need to buy it at a liquor store. Pick up a six-pack of Epic Brewing's Utah Margarita at any local Harmon's or Trader Joe's, or visit Epic Brewing on State Street in downtown Salt Lake City. Here's what Salt Lake's talking about. Everyone agrees that the solution to homelessness is housing. But can we be more specific? Salt Lake City is in the process of opening 400 units of permanent supportive housing, and local provider Switchpoint just cut the ribbon on the first hundred or so in Fair Park. The development is called The Point at Fair Park, and it's an interesting argument for abandoning the shelter model altogether and charging full steam ahead on this one. It's Monday, June 12th. I'm Ali Vallarta, and this is CityCast Salt Lake. Carol Hollowell, Executive Director of Switchpoint Community Resource Center. What is the difference between permanent supportive housing and regular housing? I think there's a couple of big differences. One is permanent supportive housing really tries to create a safe environment for people who maybe have experienced some trauma in their life or they have some mental illness or they have any kind of barriers or issues that have kept them in mainstream housing. And regular housing, however you want to to label that, is really for those individuals who don't need the support systems and they are functional and keeping housing ongoing without any of those supportive services. And there can be a lot of different kinds of support services. Can you paint a picture for me of what permanent supportive housing actually looks like? Because I feel like it's it's become a popular term, but I can't really like picture it. You know, for me and Switchpoint, we've really tried to paint the picture of permanent supportive housing creates a environment where someone feels safe and included and where they feel like they belong. And so we really try to make sure that the services that are offered in that would be mental health, it might be veteran services, it might be um, some food security, um, it might be they need home health coming in and helping them clean, it might be case management. So we wrap all these things in and then say, what do you think you need? By the way, we also have these six other things that you might like to try And it allows them to kind of have this a la carte menu, if you will, of supportive services that keeps them stabilized. And so permanent supportive housing to me means we are stabilizing them so that they're not getting kicked out over and over again because of some barriers that kept coming up that no one was addressing. I mean, when it comes to addressing homelessness, of course, it is a crisis in our city. So why not just give people an apartment and say, go for it? Like, why this model? Well, we've seen what happens when we put people in an apartment and say, go for it, and then there's no supportive services. Um, it, it really, number one, destroys the property because there's no check-ins. Let's give an example of mental health. They're not staying med compliant. Nobody was checking on them. So they're having a, uh, a psychotic episode. They could trash the entire apartment, and then that's very costly, or they might harm themselves or others. So when, when you're looking at what actually helps somebody who's had chronic homelessness or even temporary homelessness, but what helps them now stay housed 
is those supportive services that come in and help cover all those gaps that they are experiencing. You and your team at Switchpoint just opened a new housing development. It's called The Point at Fair Park. It's a former hotel that you all have converted into nearly 100 units. Who's moving in? Who's it for? So we have carved out this niche um, that we feel has been identified as the most vulnerable in our community here in Salt Lake County. And that is seniors and veterans who have been um, priced out of the market. And so they have some income. So let's say that they have Social Security or a veteran's pension or disability. So they got a little bit of money. Let's say it's $900. So they move in. They're paying $450 a month rent. It includes their, their utilities and their Internet. But they also then get, at that point, an assessment that says, hey, do you also need food? Or do you need us to help you get some food stamps? So that's a supportive service. Do you want some case management? And, and are you experiencing some depression uh, because of this move or, or leaving your family, you know, family that's on the street? Um, so let's talk about some mental health uh, access. Um, and, and so we just kind of go down a tick list. I call it a sushi menu because really, to me, it's like, why don't you help me pick these barriers that you're experiencing? I just met you. And so you tell me what you think you're experiencing, and then we can keep adding to it if you want to, or you can take some away if you feel like that's been satisfied. So it really starts to build you know, a community where people feel um, engaged and they have a buy-in to their own progress and success of permanent housing. Are all of those service providers on site all the time or do they provide like a house call? The question is, is, you know, can we have service providers are full time? I'll give an example of our doctors. So our doctor comes in once a week and does house calls, which is really beneficial for someone who doesn't have transportation. Maybe they just have uh, a bus pass, but they know that on every Monday they can see a doctor on site. So they feel like, hey, my doctor's coming to my living room. We have veterans. Um, services coming in every week. We have um, the food bank, you know, dropping off senior boxes, and that's once a month. So some of them are coming on a set date on a, you know, every day of the week, every Monday or every Thursday. And then some of them, like case management, would be on site all the time. You mentioned that the requirements for this, for the point at Fair Park, this particular housing complex, you're looking at a community of people that includes seniors, people with disabilities, and veterans. If someone listening is like, I know someone who fits into one of those categories who, who needs housing, uh, how do they apply? How do they get connected? And also, are there other more specific requirements? One of the biggest uh, requirements would be that they're extremely low income. And so we have received fundings from state, city, county funds that require us to stay at 40% or below of the average median income. So in Salt Lake County, let's just say that that's uh, 29000 a year, as an example, um, for a single person. So they got to be making less than that to qualify to be in this housing. That is a lot of people who fit into this category. Those are most of your fixed income individuals. So they can go to either switchpointcrc.org and click on our affordable housing tab and then fill out an application. Anyone's welcome to come by um, and fill out an application on site. And so both of the locations in Salt Lake are on North Temple. So we've got one right off of uh, 2100. And we've got one that's clear at the very end on 2333 West North Temple.
The Living Traditions Festival is back in downtown Salt Lake City, May 17th through 19th. And this is when I come alive. It is so easy to sell me on three days of Washington Square and Library Square converting to a global food court. And this festival has truly been one of my favorites for years now. Living Traditions convenes the diversity of artistic traditions, food heritage, music, and art from the many cultures that have made Utah their home. You can expect everything from live music and dance to hands-on workshops, a little shopping, Sundance film screenings, and Bohemian Brewery. There is something for the whole family, and it's free entry. Come celebrate all of the rich cultures that make up our community. Find more information on the festival and view the full program guide at livingtraditionsfestival.com or on Instagram and Facebook at SLC Living Trad. We talk a lot on this show about our city's crown jewels. What are the institutions that open doors in our community and regulate its pulse? I choose Salt Lake Community College, and it is a home for incredibly focused Salt Lakers. Nearly 80% of their students work while going to school, many full-time jobs. If I could do college all over again, I would not be 33 and sitting on these damn student loans. And slick students aren't. 80% graduate with little to no student loan debt or save thousands knocking out credits before transferring to a four-year institution. Every day, Salt Lake Community College is transforming lives and communities through education. If you want to learn something new, refine a trade, or pursue a higher degree for the first time, explore your options at slcc.edu. Study alongside hard workers, save precious money, and be one in a class of 19, not 100. I know that with the temporary shelters and the winter shelters, staffing has been really cumbersome for a lot of service providers. How are you or have you been able to overcome the staffing crisis that we're seeing in this work? I think it's a little different uh, than shelters, right? So shelters can be very uh, chaotic, a lot of stress. And housing, you're actually feeling like you're accomplishing something every day with somebody staying in housing. So it attracts somebody who is wanting to still be in this humanitarian field and, and doing good, but it's not near as stressful in housing as it is in um, a shelter or an overflow. So we're not experiencing the um, crisis of, of staffing like a shelter is. Well, to your point, I mean, literally the point at Fair Park is not an emergency shelter, it's housing. You mentioned that it costs $450 a month to rent a unit, which is great compared to market rent apartments in the city. But for someone who's making, like you said, $900 a month, I mean, that's half of their income. Why charge rent at all? Because we wouldn't be able to keep it open. We don't get any dollars uh, from, you know, any agency or, you know, state level for operation. And so, you know, if it costs $800 a month, and we're only charging four fifty. We rely on our micro enterprises to cover that gap, like our coffee company, Switchpoint Coffee Co., or you know our, we have an aeroponic garden, or we have thrift stores, or a doggy daycare business. So our micro enterprises covers the gap that's not being covered by that four hundred and fifty dollars a month. The other thing that I, I want to add to that is the behavior of individuals when they have dignity and they can say, "I'm being treated like everybody else, and I pay my rent." 
it really changes the entire feeling and mindset in our facilities. So we want them to feel like they did it. You know, this is on them and, and we just see really good behavior. Well, there are a lot of people who need housing in this city and in this county, much more than a hundred or the hundred units that you all have just opened. How are you reaching out to un unsheltered folks and bringing in people who are a good fit for this type of housing? Like what is the, what's the sort of communication strategy? Yeah, we participate in the coordinated entry process through Salt Lake County, as we do in all of the areas that we're in. And so that coordinated entry is a group of all of the providers that um, are working with homeless individuals. They can put referrals in, they can help those individuals do the application. So that's really the best way to say, how do we prioritize who should be here? Um, and it might be, you know, the Veterans Association sending us referrals. And we get them from churches and we get them from individuals. Like I saw, you know, an individual on the street and he looked old. Can I send him to you? Yes, of course, right? They don't need to know all the details, but that's really what happens is once once you have a building that's opened, build it, they will come, meaning we, we have no problem filling up our units. We have over 400 on a waiting list. We could do this, alley all day long. We could keep opening up. Our goal this year is to try and figure out how to do a thousand units that would all be at $450 a month rent. Well, on that note that you could do this all day long, I mean, it does feel like witnessing our city's housing crisis every fall, it's absolute chaos as cities across the county hot potato opening a temporary winter shelter. Like, it just feels like we end up in the same place constantly over and over again. Should Salt Lake County be trying to escape that cycle by just like abandoning emergency shelters altogether and charging full steam ahead with permanent supportive housing models? I love the direction you took that question because <laughs> truly, to me, overflows are so sad because we've run them up in Salt Lake and we run them in our other areas. But every morning at seven o'clock, it doesn't matter if it's still 10 degrees, you're kicking out, you know, all 140 of our people this year um, from Mill Creek Overflow and telling them, hey, see you at seven. So they have nowhere to go during the day. And a lot of times the days were just as miserable and cold as the night was. And so it's just a Band-Aid. And why are we not as a community of providers really focusing in on saying, what's the permanent solution? We keep dumping millions of dollars a year into overflow instead of saying, how many of you can pay right now? Raise your hand. And if it's a thousand that were in the overflows that could pay because they had money, then why are we not focusing on that so that they're now out of that system and, and creating space now in shelters because you take those that can pay and put them into things that they can afford to pay. And so that 450 mark for us was something that we saw as a very chewable, even though it might be 50%, guess what? It includes their utilities. It includes their internet. So most of the time they're also on food stamps. So they're getting supplements of other things and they can make it and they're happy. They're thriving. So I really hope that this year we see a big turn in the mindset of a lot of our um, elected officials to say this, we need to look at something more permanent and not at something that's just the same repeat every year. The closing of some of the winter overflow shelters kind of timed up with the opening of the point. Were you able to get people from the temporary winter shelter directly? In Absolutely. I mean, it was tough because 
we were trying to open up one and remodel it while we were still running, um, you know, the overflow. They extended uh, the closing of the uh, winter overflows because we got that weird last snowstorm. And so that helped us as to get closer, you know, so we could do a transfer straight across. But, you know, our first day open, we moved five in directly from a camp. So to me, it's, it's if we could take, say, 400 off the street before snow flies again, then we're not going to need near the overflow uh, capacity that we've had experienced the last 10 years. You touched on this a bit, and I feel like I would be remiss if I didn't ask a little further. Because as a housing operator, you absolutely bear witness to the politics and nuance of Salt Lake County's housing crisis. I'm curious your lens on this issue. I mean, we're in an election year in this city. Homelessness is what everyone is talking about. Do you have any insight for us as a service provider? The hardest part about that is everyone takes the platform or, uh, I, don't, I don't want to use the term agenda, but, uh, you know, they, they think if we go in this direction, maybe this will solve it. If we go in this direction, maybe this will solve it. Nothing solves homelessness like housing. To me, it's not more shelter space. It's not more overflow space. If we truly could look at how do we cost-effectively quickly renovate some buildings because it's so much quicker and, and cheaper than doing new build, then how many could we pull off, you know, and out of the streets and out of the homeless system before November? And if we could have this be all in, everybody on the same team, and it doesn't matter if you're on the state team, the county team, or the city's teams, we could accomplish this. But there is always somebody saying, well, I don't want it here, or I don't want it in my city, or you put it there. It doesn't matter if it's the overflow or a regular shelter or deeply affordable housing People have opinions of what does that look like in my neighborhood and it's going to devalue my property or it's going to bring crime into the property. And so I, I, I wish we could have that at the table, round table, to say to everybody, what if we could do this and we all put our heads together right now so we wouldn't have to do overflow this year? Wouldn't that be great? It absolutely And take would. egos out. Just take all the egos out. Switchpoint Executive Director Carol Hollowell, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Hey, you're welcome. Last September, Salt Lake City Mayor Aaron Mendenhall asked the city council to invest $6 million in opening more than 400 permanent supportive housing units. She wanted them by April of this year, right after winter shelters closed. So far, the only units to open are the 100 we talked about today, the point at Fair Park. There is another development called Ville 1659, which plans to open units through the summer and fall as they're renovated. We're also told by the city that a housing program specifically for medically vulnerable people is under contract for a new property. It will need renovations after closing. Their original location fell through, which delayed their timeline. So that 400 permanent supportive housing units number is looking closer to next winter for completion, which means we could see another fall shelter scramble this year. The city told us permanent supportive housing is only a piece of the state's current strategic plan for homelessness. The current projected need for shelter beds next winter is 600. Salt Lake City is currently working with the county and state to identify early shelter options now, and ideally, those would be year-round shelters. That is all for us today here on CityCast Salt Lake. Hey, if you like this show, Will you tell a friend about it today? 
just one friend or your mom. Tell your mom. (laughs) Okay, thank you for listening. We will be back tomorrow morning with more from around this city.